back to the Everybody Soccer Podcast. This episode, we have former Duke standout goalkeeper EJ Proctor. EJ was a three-year starter with the Blue Devils, finishing in the fall of 2017, and honestly has been one of my favorite collegiate goalkeepers to watch over the last five to ten years. I'd recommend everyone go back and watch her highlights for a goalkeeper who's a little undersized. She never really wavered in playing the position correctly, and I, I think that really showed as Duke made deep trips in the national tournament each year with her and Net, which we'll talk here in a little bit on the podcast. So uh, she would go on to get drafted by the Utah Royals in 2018 and was set to back up Nicole Barnhart until the dissolution of the Boston Breakers bumped her to a practice player. EJ recaps her time at Duke, as well as her short stint with the Royals, including the highs and lows of the whole process. Towards the back part of the interview, EJ and I talk about an article her mother, Kathy, wrote. It's a really wonderful and personal account of Kathy detailing her journey as a parent of a gay athlete and how she approached this new stage in her life. EJ discusses her reaction to reading it, all positive, of course. And to be honest, connecting with EJ over the idea of being proud of our parents was a real pleasant surprise for me. Uh, you don't really get that in, epi- in every episode here, so I really enjoyed that. For short goalkeepers or coaches with shorter goalkeepers, go watch EJ's highlights for a textbook picture of how it's supposed to look like. I can't recommend it enough. Now, with that intro out of the way, here's EJ Proctor. So that's what I've been doing now, and I'll finish those up this summer, which will be good, but still coaching and everything, so that's nice at least. Yeah. Were you interested in doing any sort of GA position with, with Duke? I, I don't know if that came up at all. I'm just kind of curious. Um, I don't know if they have it, but you know, that's when, whenever I'm – because, well, that's where I'll apply to physical therapy school, one of the places, so if something like that could – work out I would definitely be interested in doing it just because I love being around that environment so being involved with it yeah okay we'll, we'll dive in kind of that Duke environment because yeah. it seems like everyone obviously is really uh, positive about their school experience but it seems yeah. like Duke is kind of on another level so I want to get into that but uh, rewind us back to kind of how you first fell into goalkeeping uh, was there kind of an aspect you feel like you were really drawn towards um, was there kind of a, a role model or even a family member that really kind of pushed you a certain way as far as getting into goalkeeping? Um, at, well, I honestly think that I had just asked to play at the beginning. Like it was rec soccer. I mean, I was sure. young, maybe five or so, four yeah. or five, I guess five. And I just thought, oh, that that looks like it'd be fun. I was playing <laughs> on an all-boys team, and yeah. I guess I just thought it was kind of a cool thing to do as the only girl. And – so I did. I just liked it. I mean, would always play like a half in the goal, even when I first started out in club, and then a half is forward. And then I had one coach, one of my club coaches, Stacy Miller, who her husband's a head coach at Western Carolina. Gotcha. Um, but she was my club coach when I was young, and she just said, you know, you you could be a special player. She told my mom that, and she got me set up working with a local college goalkeeper and that was kind of my first I was maybe 10 11 or so then and that was maybe my first introduction into actual the right way to be a goalkeeper I guess right. instead of just rolling around on the ground for stuff <laughs> no that makes sense um I remember watching you play and maybe just a little undersized which is, is weird in the women's game they seem to be um like five seven seems short but you know I I, just watching you play, yeah. it seemed like you covered a lot of the goal. Um, you know, it seems like the the taller ones have a crutch of, you know, or, or struggling to get down low, and the the short ones struggle to get up high. But um, yeah, I don't. Whatever uh, you can go back and tell your goalkeeper coach, I said this, but just <laughs> watching you playing, like, man, it was so. It, I was watching back the the Florida State uh, semifinal. Um, uh huh. Some highlights on that, 
and it's just one save. And I did this comp. I don't know if you remember or not, but I did like kind of a save of the year um, yeah. poll on my site. And it was a save from that game where uh, you're moving left to right. The ball's kind of coming down towards maybe your your knee or shin and then gets deflected yeah. up at the last second. And you just made it look so easy. And uh, <laughs> I remember watching it and I was just thinking like, you know, I feel like anyone else that does that, like either they're missing it completely because it gets deflected maybe a yard or two in front of you. It's really close. Um, yeah. So they're missing it completely or they're, they're kind of floundering or making it look, you know, impossible. You just made it look so easy. So um, I don't know who, who was responsible for that in your training. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, well, yeah, that I'm trying. Brandon Gwen, who I absolutely love, he was my goalkeeper coach that year. And to, I mean, that's always when you're short, one of your least favorite things, like, more so back to bar stuff you know I hated yeah. training that but he just really made me start doing it a lot and I felt better about it but that kind of reaction save stuff where he would just drill them toward the crossbar kind of <laughs> in areas I wasn't expecting and I would just work on tipping them over because yeah, yeah. reaction stuff that was one thing where if you're small or I guess large either way it's just easy that's an easy thing to train so we'd always do that and I guess I just got lucky that it actually happened, but I remember just praying. I was like, oh, God, I hope I get my hand on this one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you certainly, it certainly looked like something you had done more than once. I'll say that. Yeah. But, <laughs> well, um, I, I think there was a bit when I was, whenever I saw your name online, it was something from Tracy Noonan, you know, retweeting or, or pushing something on. Um, and she seemed, uh, I mean, I, of course, a lot of people were, but she seemed really proud of kind of how, how you had developed and where you had gotten. Um, and I'm pretty sure you had spent some time with the dynasty goalkeeping. So what is that connection there? Um, how, how long had y'all crossed over? Um, cause I hear a lot of good things about the camp. I've never been out there, but I've heard a lot yeah. of good things about it. Uh, what is that environment like? Well, so Tracy has had me since I was 12, oh, goodness right okay. when I turned 12 and I stayed with her the whole time. Every summer I was in college, um, anytime I needed advice, she's just always been such a good role model for me and just very honest, you know, when I was setting goals for myself and I just, I, we had that relationship where I would just trust whatever she told me. Yeah. Um, so started out, she, cause she's based out of Chapel Hill, which is a little over an hour away from my hometown. And I would go there on the weekends with the group. And I mean, it was cool because the goalkeepers I was training with, you know, one started at Pitt the whole time she was there, Taylor Francis or, you get Britt Eckerstrom. Like the, mm, she yeah. has some really good goalkeepers who are training with her, who are in camp. So just a great environment to be in. And she does run her dynasty goalkeeping academies over the summer. And I would always go to a week and then work a week with her just to spend more time training. And um, even the field players at Duke and state UNC local colleges, they go and play there at night just because she's such a good coach and they want to play against her goalkeeper. So really good yeah. environment there. Uh, just great training hard and probably I mean that she, she's the one who invested the most time in me. And like I said, even when I was in college, anytime I needed to call her, I could. Yeah. You, you talked about that trust with Tracy. What, what specifically, even at a younger age, what, what specifically, um, happened or, or what did she show that made you earn that or that she earned that trust with you well you know I always knew that I was a good athlete growing up just because any sport I've always been able to play it and I think that because of that people just assumed I was a good 
goalkeeper. But with Tracy, I mean, you know, the very first time she trained me when I was 12, I remember her kind of picking me apart, all these technical things. And I got in the car with my dad after, and I just said, I've never heard of some of the things that she told me. Yeah. From the time I was 12, she wasn't afraid to tell me every little thing that was going on. And then we have our, our we have to write down goal sheets at camp. And we have our short-term goals and our long-term goals, kind of our controllable, uncontrollable goals. And I remember, I think this was before I committed anywhere. And I said, I want to play in the ACC, kind of these lofty goals. And she said, you know, that's probably going to be really hard and you're likely going to sit on the bench for a bit. And I just kind of brushed it off, didn't really think much of it. And then I was, so I was originally committed to Clemson. And there's a good goalkeeper a year ahead of me. And Tracy just said, yeah, you're, you're definitely going to be on the bench. And so that's okay. You know, you sit your year and you just progress from there. And then you get more of that fighting chance second year. And I mean, she was right. Even though I ended up at Duke, I still spent most of the year on the bench, but I just trusted in what she was saying. We still trained hard. If I could get there on the weekends with her, I would. Um, and she was just always very honest with me from a young age. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, you know, I think there's something now. So when I'm training, it seems like, um, and this, I don't think this is quite where you're getting at, but with my goalkeepers, it seems like a couple will come in with a little bit chip on their shoulder of, hey, prove to me what, you know, that you know what you're talking about. And honestly, I kind of yeah. always like that because um, I, I think if you put something to the test, and the kind of you're talking about Tracy here is kind of the tie-in. You know, if you put something to the test, you know, is what they're saying, is it going to hold water, is it going to stay up? Or is it just kind of fluff? Is it just kind of nice language? Or are they just being hard just right. to be hard? Um, but I think, for, especially for a young goalkeeper, you know, she's giving you real tangible, like, oh, this makes sense, you know, as opposed to just like, hey, keep working hard. If you believe in yourself, you can go anywhere yeah. you want. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, she started talking to me about eating habits, fitness, when I was 12 or 13. Yeah. And that was why my entire time in high school, I was up at 5 a.m. to go to the gym before school because I understood that just going to training in Raleigh with my club team in the afternoon wasn't enough. Yeah. Just all these things where she really, I think, just changed my lifestyle. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. That's a, I mean, as a coach, that's like, man, that's the goal. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, let's, let's move forward to Duke there. You know, of course, so when I'm looking at your time at Duke, it seems like it was just kind of all great. I mean, y'all never won the championship, but y'all got to the quarterfinal three years straight. Um, your sophomore year, y'all got to the final. Um, had a really decorated run. Um, I think it was like 13 losses in your last three years is what I was looking at. Um, obviously, very, very talented program, but you put yourself in a position as well to, you know, you, you took over as a sophomore. You had time as a freshman as well. I really took over as a sophomore. So I guess I'm curious of when you look look up, look back at your time at Duke, are there any notable setbacks? Because I didn't see any injuries. Um, I mean, I, obviously yeah. not winning the final was, was not ideal. But I guess I'm curious because yeah. it seems like it was kind of all pretty great. Um, yeah, it's, I would say there were a lot of setbacks. Luckily, injuries, no. The worst thing that happened to me was I tore my hamstring at the start of senior season, and it's just still torn to this day because – you know, I definitely wasn't going to sit out that year. Yeah. Um, but I, 
yeah, I guess starting even switching from Clemson to Duke, that was that was really hard for me because I I knew that there's uh, Kalen Sheridan, you know, Canadian right, goalkeeper right. was the year ahead of me at Clemson. Yeah, yeah. Good goalkeeper, but I just had that mentality like after a year I'll I'll be able to beat her out. And then senior year I tore my UCL and my elbow. And that's kind of like, you know, you're out for a year essentially. So it's a senior year of high school and Clemson. So I was still committed there. It's like fall of my senior year. And I kind of told him, I said, I need to get this surgery because I, it hurts. I don't think I can deal with the pain. And they just kind of wanted me to hold off on the surgery because at ne- there's a chance I'd be out my first freshman preseason if I got the surgery then, and Kaylin was going to be gone with the U-20 World Cup hmm. at that point. Yeah. So they were just going to be without a goalkeeper. And so we had a little bit of pushback, just deciding, okay, what am I going to do? And I finally decided, no, I'm, I'm going to get the surgery done. But in a way, it just I think that kind of changed the way I felt about committing there. Just felt like, okay, maybe my best interests aren't in mine. If they just want me to play through it, whatever. You know, it could have been something completely different, but that was my thought process. Sure. And when I was decommitting, one of the coaches just said, well, you know, you'll probably be better off not playing in the ACC anyway. And I just remember, I never, like, I never forgot that. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to prove them wrong. And anyway, lucked out, was able to go to Duke, really just because my, one of my best friends, Abby Pine, had a major knee mm, surgery yeah, yeah. before going in. So they just needed a goalkeeper. So that worked out. And I went and right, so I guess that was kind of my first, not so much as a setback, but just that whole transition that happened last minute. And I really didn't know anything about Duke. I just knew that Robbie had been my ODP coach when I was about 10. Um, So that happened. And then right before going to Duke, the month before preseason started, my best friend passed away from ovarian cancer. And, you know, on her bucket list before she passed away was to see me play at Duke. And so I just remember going in, thinking, okay, whatever it takes, I'm going to start my freshman year because I feel like I need to do that from her. And I just had that on my mind. I had that, you know, I don't belong in the ACC, kind of that chip on my shoulder. Yeah. And I got there and I did not start. And I just felt like I was training so hard, thought that I was training the best out of the goalkeepers because as a freshman, you just don't understand yeah. how <laughs> – important seniority is yeah you know it's like you see the reps that are happening I really felt like I had a good preseason and it just wasn't quite enough and then finally so that that was something I really struggled with the whole year just not feeling good enough you know my parents gave up so much because I gave up a partial scholarship at Clemson I walked on at Duke my mom started working another job and here I am not even starting so I was really struggling my freshman year and then I remember the night before we played UVA, it was one of our last home games freshman season. Robbie asked to talk to me after practice and said, you know, we're going to give you the start tomorrow. And I, I mean, it was, I will never forget sitting on that bench with him after practice talking about it. And I yeah. called my parents and they're so excited. My family from Virginia came in and I had, we lost and I made some dumb mistakes, but overall I had a really good game. 
And I think that was the first time when I thought, okay, maybe, maybe I can do this. Yeah. And I think that was just a good way for me to go out freshman season going into sophomore year like that. And I mean, really the rest of the stuff was okay. The only other setbacks, obviously coming off of a good season, sophomore year, I kind of hit a bit of a slump my junior year. I mean, on the stat sheet, it may not see, say that, but I just didn't feel like my confident self. And then senior season, it was a tough battle sharing games with Brooke Heinsohn just because I'm a captain. Never, it's like you want to be a leader, but it is hard when you're sharing time with the freshmen, especially for me when I'm thinking, well, I hardly got any time as a freshman. So I, that was something else I had to overcome. Right, right. I'm curious, looking back to those, really, I mean, kind of through all your time there, but those first couple of years, I'm trying to think as an 18, 19-year-old, as myself, of, I mean, I, I certainly, <laughs> I didn't have those those <laughs> weights on my shoulder, but of course, decommitting and then losing a really close friend, um, it'd be ridiculous to, to assume you just kind of breeze through that. So, you know, who who did you lean on, and or I guess what kind of advice were you were you given, and what helped as far as helping you progress really those first two years there? Um, well, one of my a teammate who's a year older than I am, Christina Gibbons, we play club together. She was one of my best friends and she, she knew the girl who passed away from ovarian cancer. Well, so I at least kind of had her to lean on, uh, Lizzie Rabin for sure. has just always been a very, just a good person who's always there, even if she doesn't really have anything to say. And I really leaned on them a lot. And it was a chance. I, I think my freshman fall, I was a bit distant from my class because I just had so much. And it's kind of like you meet these new people and they just don't know anything about what you've been through in the past. And right. I struggled a bit to let them in. But, you know, freshman spring rolls around and every day since then. But now those are the only people that I talk to about anything. Yeah. But it, it took me a little bit to get there. Yeah. And I, I think sophomore year too, Carla became that was when I actually started talking to Carla about things and maybe just had the confidence to go in there because our coaching staff was incredible but as someone who's not playing I feel like I always tell myself oh I don't want to take up their time even though looking back that they would have been some of the best people to go to yeah oh yeah that um I feel like I've seen that a lot of you know, I don't know if maybe this isn't quite where you're at but I, I feel like I've seen a little bit of players when they're not playing um, I don't know if embarrassment's the right word, but they they feel like, oh, like, yeah, I, I you know, I'm a low priority here. I, you know, I just need to stay out of right. the way and kind of work my way up when, you know, as a coach, like, that's the player I want to work with. You know, the one that's getting time on the field, you know, obviously want to work with them too. But, um, you know, I kind of, I for me, I guess, maybe it's just me. I, I don't know. But I, I'm always really interested in kind of that bottom third of the players and seeing if we can get them up. Um, but, no, that is, yeah, that uh, – I just feel like I've seen that a lot as far as like a player thinking, ah, I'll, I'll kind of step out here. But Yeah, and I know, and the, a lot of times, like, I'm sure you and I know our coaches were, they did everything right, but it's it's yeah, almost that yeah. question of self-worth. Okay, right. do I really want to take up their time? And it's kind of this internal battle that you just have to yeah, decide yeah. to get over. Yeah. Well, that those, I mean, you've, you've lived it. Those, those years, there's just so much going on, and it's so transformative in a lot of ways like the, you know, when you start at your school and you end it's just you know totally different person so yeah you know, yeah, yeah that's for sure 
Well, let's let's move forward to that kind of wrapping up your senior year and the the draft is on the horizon. Um, I'm kind of curious about how between the draft and finishing your last game, what was going on off the field? Um, did you feel like you deserved to be drafted? Was it a surprise? Were you talking with teams where did no one talk to you? Um, were were you anxious? Were you just kind of like, oh, this is definitely going to happen? There's a lot of questions there, but uh, how was, uh, as far as off-field stuff go, how, how are you handling that and what all happened? Uh, oh, man, I, that that was a really hard time for me just because we finished that game. I mean, I thought for sure we were going to win it that year just because we were so – it wasn't, like, cocky. We just genuinely believed that whole thing of just, you know, thinking into existence. Yeah. And we just went with that all year and – we got to that game against UCLA and we just didn't play like ourselves. We changed formations. We just didn't quite have that air of confidence that we normally played with. And so I think I wasn't expecting a loss at all. And I, you know, and it's like, Oh, I, when I got, that was a Friday. When I got back to school that Tuesday, I was done with college because I was graduating that semester and you know, you lose and I graduated and Duke doesn't have like a, fall graduation ceremony so I just remember walking out of my last class and I was like well I guess I just graduated (laughs) from college and that was kind of it yeah (laughs) I texted my parents and okay I'm done and (laughs) and I just think I never sat with that long enough to understand and to process how much I loved being at Duke and how Robbie truly just had the ability to pick some of the most incredible people and we all meshed very well and you just don't really process all of that's happening because people just leave for Christmas break. Okay, great. And then you're just sitting around waiting. Well, I wonder where I'm going to live next. Am I going to get drafted anywhere? Am I going to need to go overseas? Um, and I guess in that time, the only teams I talked to were Sky Blue and Spirit. So I was thinking, okay, it'll probably be one of those two. And then Laura harvey had asked for a highlight tape of me i sent it to her and never heard back so i thought okay she's probably not going there yeah and you know went to the draft we most of my class we just decided to go just to go have the weekend together and so we went and you know suddenly oh i mean the goalkeepers that were getting drafted i was like i've never heard of some of these people and not anything against them. I'm just like, sure. wow, there are so many goalkeepers in this pool that I didn't even know were there. And, you know, the teams who I thought were going to pick me had just about used all their picks. I'm starting to think, oh, my gosh, I may just not get drafted. And at this point, every Duke player except myself and Morgan Reed have been picked. And we're sitting beside each other. And I was just like, well, Morgan, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get picked. And then – courage had the last few so I was thinking okay maybe because we're both from there we know the coaches that's probably where we'll both end up and then Salt Lake ended up picking me which was unexpected but the crazy thing the morning of the draft I texted one of my teammates Mackenzie Coles and I said I had a dream I got picked to go to Utah (laughs) and sure sure enough that was where it ended up but it yeah I didn't know what to expect as I saw like spirit and sky blue using theirs yeah yeah Interesting. I, um, I'm looking back at the, the draft here, and I, yeah, it feels like, and especially when I talk to coaches, it feels like a lot of the game is pretty regional as far as seeing the entire collegiate landscape. So, I mean, obviously at the time you knew who were the, 
the good and maybe not so good ACC goalkeepers, and you're really familiar with them, you could probably spot them out in a crowd. But right, you know, it's just kind of funny of, of the ones that pick up there. Um, I guess I'm curious of. Well, I'm, maybe I'm jumping a little out of line chronologically here, but you know, when you look at that time there, is there anything that you would have changed? I am you brought up looking at overseas, and um, I guess I'm curious. Like, did you feel like you played all your cards and it, it, it played out, or did you feel like you could have changed something looking back on that? Um. Well. I know that being there was a really, it was really good for me. It was just one of those things I knew I needed to do. And I kind of had that mindset of, okay, this is supposed to be the best league in the world. And if I'm going to play, I want to play here. I want to play in this league. Yeah. And I mean, they took such good care of us. We had incredible facilities. Our owner, just an amazing guy gave us just as much, if not more than what the men were given. Laura, you know, great great coach I learned a lot just watching film with them with all the coaching staff I loved my goalkeeper coach there Jason Batty he's a great guy but the hard thing was just you know walking in a room you're drafted there so you feel like okay they hopefully there there is some investment beyond a draft pick and you know I never saw my name on a locker I didn't have a locker like I had a little bin to put stuff in or not traveling and then you're just kind of there in salt lake for however long they're gone hanging out and there were times in training because i was the third goalkeeper which obviously i didn't expect until boston folded um that i would get pulled out of training and would just shag balls and i just remember thinking what you know what am i doing here i'm 22 am i supposed to be this miserable here and I went back and forth for a bit. I thought about playing overseas. A couple of teams reached out to me and, you know, I, I was talking to my life mentors about it. And she just said, sometimes you might not know where you want to go next, but you know that you can't stay where you are. Yeah. And I, I was just like, yeah, I don't know what it is, but something's just telling me that it's that I'm okay to move on. And so I did. And, there are certainly days where I wake up and wonder, did I do the right thing? Should I have stayed? But I am, you know, I'm excited about physical therapy school or hopefully if I get in and I think that I made the right decision, but there's certainly days where I wonder it. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any sort of, you know, I don't know if this is digging too deep here, but is there any sort of, um, you feel like you kind of got, um, kind of a spot stolen and nothing against, Abby Smith coming in, obviously, that, yeah. that wasn't her fault. But, like, you know, because you, you oh, got yeah. drafted and you, <laughs> you I mean, you were going to be the backup there, and then everything changes instantly. Yeah, I, well, I think the thing that was so hard about not getting a contract was Boston, What they weren't supposed to take spots. You know, like, the league was, they didn't count against roster cap, salary cap, whatever. So they could have still chosen to sign me. At least that's my understanding. But there just wasn't that need since they had to. And essentially each team got a Boston player for free. So that was hard. And then the rule that began my, when I was there where they, they held my rights for a year. So there was a weekend when North Carolina needed a goalkeeper and they asked if I could go. There were weekends when other teams needed 
a goalkeeper. And I may have just sat on the bench, but that would have been still more than what I was doing in Salt Lake. But I was never released to do that. And I think in times like that, it certainly made me question more so than other days what I was doing there. Yeah. Yeah. I Did you – so you finished that – was that – I'm trying to think of the timeline. But you finished 2018 there, 20 – I guess 19, yeah. Was there any sort of thought of like going into any sort of preseason camp? Am I off on my years? That's right. 2018 year with Utah. Just, you mean this, yes. So you mean this season right now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So was there, I guess I'm curious of like how soon were you not only done with Utah, but as far as like the pro game, you know, what, Um, or were you still kind of flirting with that idea at some point? Yeah, I went back and forth. I came home last June and even when I was working just to honestly to save up some money because I had certainly not done that in Salt Lake um I was still thinking of that then okay should I go play somewhere should I start calling people and I talked to a couple of goalkeeper coaches about it throughout the league but I just felt like I'm I've never, I, well, I guess it goes deep in that. I've just never, I realized looking back on my life that I never really thought about my future past playing. Like in high school, and my mom was my teacher in high school, we had to do a thing where we kind of mapped out, mapped out what we wanted our life to look like, doing a little collage. Um, and I think my mind just had soccer stuff all over it. Yeah. And I just didn't know, just because that was kind of all that I Maybe that's all that I thought that I could do. And looking back, I don't even know if it was truly a big dream that I had to play pro. Because it, it, you know, it wasn't as hard for me to walk away as what I would think that one of my dreams would be to leave. Yeah, Um, yeah, I went back and forth with it. But I think that I was ready and I'm still ready to figure out, okay, what else can I feel feel that confident in doing? What other path? is there for me. And I love playing. So I love investing in people in my team. So, you know, how can I find other realms of the world to just invest in people, give my time. And I think I am, especially now I'm just ready to start to figure that out. Yeah. Is, is it fair to say it was tougher to leave Duke than it was to kind of retire as a professional? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. But again, I think I just did not, let that sink in when I was leaving I just kind of went on autopilot okay what's next it it, it was weird for me because I guess I just never thought about it but in college you know you're going to be there for four years no matter what I knew I was going to be at Duke and then suddenly you don't know where you're going to be the next month and that was strange for me and I just don't think that I let things sit in enough I was always asking all right where am I going to get drafted when am I going there Am I going to play? Am I going to stay? And never really processed how hard it was to leave Duke, probably until I came home after Salt Lake. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm trying to think I'm trying to think of a, a transition here. You mentioned your mom, but it's probably going to be a, a bit of a reach yeah. on the transition for the next question. I, you know, I, I guess I'm just thinking back of that, you know, that I guess with college, you know, there's almost like a – there's just a huge investment in a very specific place, but in the pro game, I mean, you were at Utah, but like, you know, it, it's kind of, yeah. it, it's so more, I don't know what's the right word, you know, free flowing, you well, know, you may be one place one where, 
you know, right. There's just less security. And that's one thing that we even talked about when I was there is like, how do you get players to really invest in a team? And first they, you almost need to feel invested in as a player and not wonder, okay, next week, am I going to be playing for someone else? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you even talked about kind of, I don't know what that position is, but on the men's side, it's the, the goalkeeper pool. They'll, they'll have back right and yeah but, that that would be nice to do yeah, on the women yeah, but yeah yeah um well i guess uh i don't have a transition also just move forward but i i uh <laughs> that works <laughs> but i had seen something i can't remember when she posted it but your mother had posted something i'm gonna say back in the fall um but it was kind of her own uh point of view as far as you coming out as gay and how she had it, one thing that really stood out to me was kind of her prayer life how that had changed um, obviously, she's Christian, and as someone as myself that was raised in kind of a classical Southern Christian home, um, yeah. one of the things I really took away from it, or one of the things I just really thought of, um, is how difficult it is for someone to really put their name onto something like that. Because I could see, and I don't know if this happened with your mother at all, but I could see um, someone writing something that was very supportive of their daughter, or their, or, and, you know, and in, in getting a little bit of a backlash in the social community that they're around. So it's not easy. And, and, you know, you can obviously be very vocal to your, you know, your children and be very supportive, but it's almost like another animal to put something online and put your name on it and, and, you know, keep it up and not delete it instantly, you know? So I loved it. It was really, you know, really heartfelt. Um, It was, I felt like it was pretty critical of herself as well. Um, Maybe harder than it needed to be. But um, yeah. I guess I, I'm curious of whenever you saw that. I'm sure she gave you a little bit of a heads up. But whenever you <laughs> saw that, what um, you know, what did you think? And uh, you know, maybe it's old news, but did that change your dynamic with your mother at all, or was it just kind of like, oh yeah, I kn- I knew all this? Um, I I think that it changed a lot of things for me. Which, well, first of all, before we dive into this, I will say my mom texted me before and said, make sure you tell Bill if he's not seen me on Twitter, it's because I gave it up for Lent. Oh, okay. She's <laughs> like, after that, know. I'll be back on my crazy <laughs> soccer stuff. Good to know. Good um, to know. <laughs> but yeah, she, so I didn't have really a heads up and that's not how my mom is. My mom's just an incredible writer. She's an English professor, retired English teacher, and she expresses everything that she thinks and feels so well when she writes. And we have journal entries from the time she was 16 and she can just write. And so I, I don't know how long she had been working on that, but I remember I was driving down or I was in the car, I was driving down to Georgia and my mom sent this text and I, you know, stopped cause I was like, what is this link? And I looked and it was, it was National Coming Out Day, and she had written my coming out story. Like, I, or I used to pray for Grayson Allen, and I was thinking, oh, no, what, what has she said about Grayson? Yeah. And I just went and read it and was surprised. because Well, my mom's naturally, she's very critical of herself, you know, holds herself to a high standard, way more critical of herself than she should be, like you said. But it takes – to me, it made me feel as if she had been working on that for a bit. Cause it takes her a little while to really put that stuff out there. Yeah. And right away I thought, well, I'm going to share this on all of my <laughs> yeah. social media, just because I was so, so proud of her. And you know, she always shares everything that I do, despite how small it may be always kind of my number one supporter. And this time I felt that she had really stepped up and done something uncomfortable. 
And I wanted to share that. And I, I mean, we, we had a hard, like she said, we just had a hard relationship at first because I would, I was so young when they found out about me. I guess I was maybe 15 or so. You know, I dated guys after that, really just to calm everyone down. But it took her a while to be okay with it. And I think reading that, it just made me realize how scared she was for me. Because she's so protective. She cannot stand when anyone says something about her children. Yeah. Like always been one of those moms where, you know, no one's allowed to punish her kids except her, despite <laughs> their family, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think that it did help me understand that she she just didn't want to have me to have a harder life than what I needed mm. or than what she thought that I could have. And I mean, obviously, just the world has progressed since then, almost eight, however, eight or nine years ago. And I think that helps. But I also know that. She listened to a podcast by Sarah Cunningham, who started Free Mom Hugs. And that was maybe a few months before she wrote that article. And I remember my mom talked to me about it after, and she said, It was so nice to hear that I am not the only mom who didn't handle this well. Because I think she had just held so much guilt for how she reacted, the way it affected our relationship for a bit. And it was just really good for her to know, okay, I'm not the only one, you know, I can, I can still be her biggest advocate and supporter. I didn't throw all that away. And that was one reason why I think sharing this was so important to her because my, my parents are my best friends now. And that happened after all of this kind of after we went South at first. And so I think it was really important to her to make sure other parents know it's never too late to change that bad reaction. If you had one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned about how long it took her to write, and that definitely felt like that was the case because I'm trying to think of me writing anything at that level. Just in <laughs> general, it's like it, it being that genuine, like it would have taken years. So I, uh, I, I just how it was written was amazing. Um, but as someone who's, I mean, I'm nowhere near her situation. I feel like I still took something away from her. Just like, wow, these, like, these points are so universal. You know, obviously she has a, a very specific point of view, um, yeah, but her, you know, it's funny that she was like, um, I can't remember how you just phrased it, but of how she had like gotten something out of kind of listening to other people's stories. It feels like it's now kind of right. been pushed on to something. I mean, like I, you know, like I said, it's just totally different environment for me, but now I'm like getting something from it. So it's just kind of weird how it like kind of continued on there. Um, but yeah, no, I, um, yeah, I, I, I was just really wowed by it. I I loved it. I'm, I haven't seen anything like that before since. You know, it's, I think it's tough for people to be really critical of themselves. Everyone wants to present themselves as like you know best foot forward. Um, there's right. Not, there's not a lot of incentive to, you know, show your faults. Um, but yeah, no, I absolutely love it. So you can, you can tell her. You I I'll see her back on Twitter at some point. But you, you can tell her that I just really really enjoyed it. So that was really good. I will. Thank you. Yeah. I was, I was proud of her for that. And I mean, I think that I knew that deep down that my mom just probably held so much guilt because she holds on to emotions for a long time. But I was, I was just proud of her because I knew that she wanted to actually make a difference. And we had, after she wrote that, we gave a talk at Barton college together, which is where she's a professor. And there are parents who would talk to her and say, I don't know if my child is, gay or not but 
they might be, what should I do? And even if we don't really know what to do, they maybe they now have something to think about whenever their child does come out to them if if they choose to or if they're gay and yeah that's why I think it also just kind of if parents may have that idea because I'm sure mom were wondering that just okay that this is how I'd like to handle it and kind of have that to help relationships so hopefully they don't ever have to go south because obviously going through that it is so hard to not have your parents yeah well, and it, it's funny, I don't know about you, but it's it felt like it took me a while to be proud of my parents, and that's not any slant on them. Yeah. It's just, you know, as a yeah. kid, you're selfish, right? You're just thinking about yourself. Right. But then to, like, find yourself, and you always hear your parents, like, oh, we're so proud of you, we're so proud of you. Uh, at, I remember at some point, I remember making a joke to my my mom of, like, hey, you you know, you're just saying that because you have to. Like, that's part of your your job that you yeah. have to, you know, so, but it's funny to find yourself at a point of like, you know, I like, I'm really proud of my parents and you know, the tables have kind of turned and it's something you would have never thought of, but then it kind of stumbles on you like, Oh wow. Like, you know, what a pleasant surprise that we we've kind of ended up here. So. Oh, I know. And I think that's been one thing as I've grown older that has become important to me. She realized like, man, I felt like such a confident kid and yeah, yeah. young adult because my parents are always building me up. But that's kind of hard when no one's doing that for them. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Very true. Well, let's, let's wrap up with this. Um, imagine you're at a, uh, big event and some, you know, you've got a microphone in front of you and someone says, Hey, tell us a really good story about Duke or, or what is a lasting memory <laughs> of Duke? Uh, and you've got, you know, uh, 30 seconds or however long as you want <laughs> to, uh, yeah. to tell, to, to kind of tell this one encapsulating story of Duke or, um, just kind of an overarching time there. Oh man. <laughs> uh, I mean, on the field moments, there were, there were a lot, you know, this, a meeting we had my freshman spring after we didn't make the tournament where seniors were gone. Those of us who are going to be there next year were in there. And we spent hours just going, telling about struggles that we each have. I mean, really getting to know the best and the hardest times of people. And that was a very special group that could go that deep with things, but that also laid the foundation that is still there for Duke women's soccer today. Um, You know, spending hours just coming up with our motto and our values. And the whole goal was this team motto is going to be able to last. The values are going to be able to last because this, it's not just how we want to play. It's the kind of people we want to be. And, you know, to this day and probably for a long time after, the team motto is be where your feet are. Because obviously when you're at a challenging academic institution, it's hard to not bring the academics onto the soccer field or be worried about a game while you're in class. But sure. just, you know, be there. And values like heart, reliability, and enjoyment, those are it's just all these controllable things. And so I think... I just remember that change because freshman fall, I felt like the freshman, we were so isolated from everyone else. And then suddenly we felt like we were part of this big family. Um, I mean, beating UNC my sophomore year at (laughs) UNC, that was just that. I think that was when we thought, okay, we, you know, we may not always be the best team because we certainly were not, but I would do anything for those people beside me. Yeah. And that was just that switch where we realized, all right, you know, that may be enough in some of these games, even if we're not as good 
that may be enough. And I mean, the whole thing, I, when I think back about just that whole experience, I was surrounded by some of the people that I think are just some of the best people on this earth. I mean, the coaches were balanced each other out so well. They're so invested in us. We, it, it did not matter what we were doing. We just had a really good time doing it. You know, whether it's the crazy road trips we'd end up taking, Robbie would make yeah. sure that we at least had some good food yeah. along the way. Like, or if we're like, Robbie, let's get ice cream. You know, we would get ice cream yeah. and just kind of had that, just that really special environment where Robbie was so good at bringing people in who really challenged each other and people I learned so much from, but the, they're, they're going to be my best friends for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that I think is so special and such a big credit to him. But yeah, I, I don't know that whole thing. I mean, obviously beating Florida state sophomore year yeah, yeah. was awesome. And our sports psychologist came to the hotel the next day to talk to us the day before the championship. And we just held hands in a circle and we were just kind of, I, I don't remember if we said anything, but I just remember looking around all the faces in that room and thinking, this you know not everyone gets to play on a team like this and like one thing that no one really knows Danielle Duell who was a captain my sophomore year hardly played incredible person the glue to the team did everything in the world for us she came on for about five minutes during the Florida State game and in that five minutes she tore her ACL again oh wow she didn't say anything you know she asked to be subbed off and nobody knew until after the championship game was over. And I think that was just, wow, this is a senior who, you know, she would maybe play 20 or 30 minutes a game, had a chance to play in a championship, tore ACL and just didn't even tell us. <laughs> and I, that, I think that that determined the kind of leader that I wanted to be. Yeah. And so just so many moments where just the selflessness, the commitment, investment in one another, especially – the investment that I felt from the coaches and every person on my team was something that made it really hard to go to the professional environment. Yeah. But I would definitely, I would, wouldn't trade that treatment at Duke for anything or just the people I was with. 